The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot. For today's episode of Your Stories Don't Define You, friend Annette Taylor agreed to record her first coaching session with me for the benefit of you, our listeners. She suggested this might be an interesting episode, and I agreed. Annette, thank you so much for this opportunity. Of course. I love chatting with you always. (laughs) Well, this sounds, when you put this out as an idea for recording a podcast episode, I thought, well, that's a really good idea. And people will get a better concept of of what it is like to work with a coach, any kind of coach. So yeah, so you took the assessment and I'm looking at your results right now. So Annette, do you have your full 34 list in front of you from the StrengthsFinder results? I do. Great. Let's start with, I'm going to ask you a a series of questions and I'd love for you to answer them in story form if you can. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a time when you saw something that was already doing pretty well, a project, an art thing, an article, but you knew it could be even better. You could bring it from a seven or an eight to an 11 on a scale of one to 10. Wow. I think I might be talking a lot about my days as a preschool teacher. That's fine. So (laughs) it all applies. Yes. Yes. What pops into mind is maybe a staging issue. Like if I came upon a group of my preschoolers playing a game or pretending they were playing house, I might like make the area bigger, suggest more props or something if they were, you know, cooking or something like, oh, why don't you do this or do that? That's something that popped into my head. Excellent. So you're bringing in more resources to make the imaginary space more approachable and easier to really see for the kids. Yes. Okay. I also know you to be a writer. Have you taken an article that you wrote and decided it just wasn't enough and you just set it aside for a while? Oh, yeah. I do that a lot when I'm writing something. I'll become frustrated and be like, okay, I need a minute. Or a couple of days. <laughs> and, do and go you go read something. It? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. I'll read something and I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm getting too like goal focused. I need to, you know, open up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My great. creative self. <laughs> great. And one more story. When you think about recent months where you accomplished something that was important to you, tell me about that. Okay. Getting my husband to agree that we need some yard work done. Okay. How did you approach that? A lot of waiting, waiting for a mood or, you know, relaxed. He, you know, he'd been talking about doing this work for a long time and just hasn't gone around to it. And I finally was like, well, you know, how about this? So yeah, we we are actually having some work done in the yard, which is how did you start what you wanted to be done? Did you start by researching I mean, what what was the path you took to kind of come up with the idea in the first place? I guess it was about, you know, about how long it was taking. And I felt like I just wanted to put some options out there like this or this. I do that a lot for preschool kids too, because I want, right. I want buy-in. <laughs> I want buy-in. And yeah, not that I think my husband is a preschooler, but it, I think it helped. <laughs> yeah, well, you use the same tools. You're just going to present yeah, them it's differently, people, right? It's yes. People, but yeah. Yeah. You're just going to present them differently. 
So when you look at your top strengths, I'm really looking at the top 10, really even in the top five. Are you seeing part of your approach in the language that's being used to support? I'm not sure. You cut out a little bit there, but I'm looking at my top 10 right now. And I think they're pretty accurate. I mean, I don't know if I use the exact words, but definitely close to the concept. Right. So a lot of the words in these that they're using basically as placeholders to describe a process or an approach that you take to build relationships and solve problems. And so some of the words don't mean exactly what you would think they would mean. So for instance, context is your amazing uncanny ability to dive into historic documents, historic references, and innately understand how that history informs the present you are now and how it can inform the future. Mm-hmm. That's your context. That's why you're into the, the cave dwellers and yeah. <laughs> how, how those aspects of society, community, and individual individuals has informed who we are it hasn't gone away, but there are a lot of those things that have held over from that past time. Right. That's that's right. what your context does. And right. I don't think like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say that there aren't a lot of people who think like that. My yeah. husband is one who does though. Mm-hmm. And he has he is somewhat prescient. So he can he can see the writing on the wall for what's going to happen politically, geographically in communities. Before it happens, he predicted that in Rwanda about four years, all based on the reading he does about history. So that's that is the magic. The maximizer is the part of you that I I refer to it as a a spinal tap reference because there's a movie called Mm -hmm. This is Spinal Tap. And Mm -hmm. it's a fake documentary about a fake rock band. And it's hysterically funny. It's hysterically funny. So what about that movie do you think I'm referring to? What oh, is the clip? 11. Yes. Oh, yes, my they're amplifier. talking about the speaker and they're saying, <laughs> exactly. well, I turn mine up. If the speaker goes up to 10, well, I'm going to turn mine up to 11. Right. He has a custom amplifier made so he can go to yes. 11. That's what maximizers 11. do. And some people refer to maximizers as perfectionists, but that's not true because a maximizer never believes it's finished if they really believe that in the power of whatever they're working on to be extraordinary. So wow. your your goal is to make it pass. It's to make it extraordinary. That's when your maximizer is on, on full throttles all the way up to 11. <laughs> Fortunately, you also have developer as your number six, which means that you can also see things that are underperforming and see the value of improving to a point where they're passing. So going from a two or three on the scale of one to 10 to being a seven or an eight on the one to 10. And that's where your preschool teaching was really helpful. And the the difference between them is obviously, you know, the difference between making something meaningful and making something extraordinary the other difference is the approach. A developer, that that's the part of you that wants to celebrate incremental improvements. Mm-hmm. It's in the relationship building domain where mm, maximizer kind of is influencing. Yeah. So there's okay. a big difference. And the maximizer 
which means you see the potential and you know how to get there. So it's not really about other people. Okay. That makes me feel better because when I read Maximizer, I was like, whoa, I I kind of pride myself on not being a perfectionist because (laughs) I, that just, I don't know. It kind of freaks me out to think that, I don't know. (laughs) Oh no. The way I describe a Maximizer other than the whole Spinal Tap reference is my husband isn't a Maximizer, but this behavior is very much a Maximizer behavior. When I have worked really hard to perfect a, a dish that I'm making for dinner, And he'll say, oh my gosh, that is so good. You know what would make it even better? (laughs) Mm, So that's, that's where the maximizer comes in. But they generally won't pick up something that is not already showing potential. Mm, Okay. But luckily, so you have that energy a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, picking your battles, right? You're, yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. And can I make this extraordinary? If not, it'll be fine the way it is. And okay. You kind of leave it alone. So, and then when you think about how you got your husband to agree to start the work, you immediately launched into how you waited for the right time where you were paying attention to his mood, his attitude, where he was in his day or his week or his month in terms of what he's dealing with at work and what else is going on at home. It wasn't that you were absorbing emotional state. It's that you were observing it. And that's what what makes empathy a talent, that ability to identify and understand the emotions of the people around you. That doesn't mean you have to absorb them. Okay. Cause like, I think like a, like a, a, a lay person's non-strength person's, you know, assumption would be empathy is like an empath, but exactly that's, that's good. Cause I usually don't take other people's feelings on. I just, I just notice them. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So you're the perfect example of this. Most people that have empathy in their top talents that also have strong relationship building talents like harmony or what else is in there, relator, those people often also are highly empathetic. And so in when I'm working with a client that has those talents along with empathy, I often will actually give them an image to post on their desk, on the wall, on the refrigerator, on their mirror that says observe with a check mark versus absorb, which has the circle and the line through it, like no smoking sign. Because they really need to understand that empathy as a talent does not have to include absorbing because that's that just rarely makes it possible for you to solve a problem. Yeah, I think you need a little distance sometimes. Mm-hmm. There's always a time for being an empathetic person. There are also times when that is doing damage to you. Yeah. So <laughs> the other part of your story about getting to this point with being able to do the landscaping at your house mm-hmm. is that arranger part of you. So this is the part of you that that's your number five talent that immediately categorizes things in your head. You're immediately putting things into buckets for where they fit. And that's how you make sense of the world around you. doesn't necessarily mean OCD. As a matter of fact, most people with the ranger that I know 
are not particularly neat, but they, if they have a stack that's, you know, 18 inches tall of papers and you ask them for something from, you know, six months ago, they'll know exactly where it is. Even if nobody else could find it. Yes, that's, that's what that is. So, so far we've kind of gone through, you, you understand where the learner comes in. I'm sure you have no doubt about that. That right. constant desire to pick up new things, to learn new things. Yeah. So of the ones that we've talked about so far, what's, what's going on in your head about them? What are you applying them to from recent experiences? Well, I mean, obviously the context has a lot to do with what I write about. That's like, pretty big in my head right now, just as far as looking back to see how we can interact more honestly with each other as people, I guess, when I look back to kind of the basics of human nature and then kind of a, I guess, also then arrange what I'm thinking about into a a story or something I'm writing or an article. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of goes together. Absolutely. And you already saw where the empathy came in, particularly with your husband. But it also, I think about our first podcast recording like two years ago, mm-hmm. where you were you were talking about what it's like to be a super fan. Mm-hmm. And all I could think was that was your maximizer showing up. You You can't be just a fan of something you like. <laughs> That's just not how your brain works. You're going to go all in. <laughs> yeah, and I, I sometimes don't mess around. Like if I'm wait, if I'm going to spend my energy, I'm going to get as much out of it as I can. Maybe exactly, and that's how you approach certain things for sure. And your empathy was also on display at that time, and your learner, because not only were you going in deep, you were observing and learning about the whole concept of super fandom. You weren't just a super fan. You were endlessly curious about what that meant and how it appeared to other people and the social and emotional impact of those situations. Right. And also, I I don't know if I told you this part. I started writing for the fan website. There there are many fan websites for the, the, the show that I was super fanning over. But I started writing for them and I wrote like five articles and most of them were about kind of helping the fans understand, you know, why they were so obsessed or, but, you know, in a friendly, fun way. And because I wanted to help people like who might be a little too deep. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that they could understand some of their, why they were motivated to, to do that. What was driving that obsession? Because I think sometimes when you understand why the foundation of it, you can take that step back and maybe direct it <laughs> in another way. Is there not a helper strength? Like, is that too vague? <laughs> well, there are a lot of helper strengths. There are a lot of helper strengths. And developer and restorative can be the the most of the the helper strengths and that's what you're demonstrating here. I would recommend if you haven't taken it already the Enneagram assessment. That's also a good one. I love yes, it. and and that's where I see that kind of motivation as opposed to how you are approaching 
problem solving. You can, okay. you can use that for sure to understand how you're approaching problem solving. This, this gives you greater depth, but that gives you understanding of that high level motivation. Okay. So yeah, really was not a fan of assessments before I was introduced to StrengthsFinder. I always found them to be too self-limiting and setting arbitrary boundaries on who we are. And what I found is that when they have black and white answers, like the Myers-Briggs comes across as very black and white, unless you dive deeply into the report, you just have these four letters to describe a very complicated human being. And you can go deeper, but it's on the surface, people just say, oh, I'm an introvert. So this is what I do. Right. And when they get their letters, that's all they see, but those are actually on a continuum. So. Exactly. There's a spectrum there. And what this does is it puts that spectrum into context for how complicated we can be as humans. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I use the word context a lot. <laughs> so, <Do you? laughs> yeah. So we'll have to be able to, to, you know, shift the difference between context as a strength and context in, in the way that I'm using it. So we can go deeper into the rest of your top 10 because you have easy access to everything in your top 10 strengths. It's your top five or six that you use just almost subconsciously. You have easy access to the things like seven, eight, nine, and 10, analytical, connectedness, strategic, and activator. And maybe even into the low teens, you have pretty easy access to Once you get into the mid to high teens, that's where you can access these situationally. They're definitely not the first place you go, but you can access them. And then at the bottom of your list, you can absolutely access these when you have to, but it's not going to be inspired work and it's probably going to drain you significantly. Mm, Okay. So that's how you look at it. I agree with that with that woo. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You can do it, but man, you walk away and you're drained. You don't, you may feel satisfied with the results, but you're going to feel drained and it's much better in your, in your strategy to use your top talents to accomplish the same goal that you would use something like woo for, which is way down at the bottom of your list, number 29 of 34. Mm -hmm. So you can use it, but I would highly recommend that you use your strategic, which is your number nine, to come Mm -hmm. up with a better approach to whatever you feel like you have to woo, which is for our listeners, woo is winning others over. And woo is the person you know who can walk into a room of 50 people and walk out with 50 new friends. Woo is somebody that just has charisma and you feel seen and heard by that person, even if they're only talking to you for 30 seconds. That's what Wu right. does. But then they're going to go on to the next person and make them feel seen and heard. And then the next person and the next person. You, but that's what they unless, automatically do. Like Exactly. If, if your Wu is in your top 10, then that. That's, that's instinctual. Like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So as you're looking at this and you're starting to understand a little bit more about your list, the next thing is we already talked about the the weaknesses, which are those bottom strengths that will drain you. And those are the things that 
it's best to find somebody else with those talents to compliment you with an E, compliment, (laughs) not to tell you how wonderful you are, even though that's great. But basically what the benefit to having other people around you understand their talents is that you understand where you can really value their talents. So for instance, I know my blind spots are in the executing domain, which are things like achiever and the, the people who just get shit done. Oftentimes people high in, in those areas in that domain can come across as being kind of hardcore, a little judgmental sometimes. And I need those people in my circle because I don't Ooh. have any of those talents. So when I hired my first employee, I looked for those kinds of talents. I looked for consistency and discipline and deliberative and achiever, the things that I don't have. Unfortunately, sometimes it's hard to work with people who have opposite talents, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially if you find them intimidating or if you're not appreciating that they are poking holes in your ideas, (laughs) which is what I've had to really look for in my work. So that's, that's where you can balance out your blind spots as long as you understand the value of what they're bringing and can understand their language, even if you don't speak it. So it's the way I describe that is people in the executing domain generally would speak German and people in more of the relationship and influencing domain speak Italian. And that's, that seems to, I love that. Oh, because (laughs) that's the the response I get a lot from people. Yeah. That's a picture, right? That's like, you know, being kind of harsh versus being kind of flowery. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I know a lot of German people that are warm and loving and kind. The language though can sound abrupt Mm -hmm. to a non-German speaker and it can sound beautiful and it can sound abrupt. And so What I remind people is I'm not asking you to change into a German person when you're working with somebody who speaks only German or bullet points. Mm -hmm. That's another way of describing it. They speak in bullet points. And what I encourage you to think about is that those, I'm not asking you to change, to become German or to start speaking bullet points yourself. I am saying that if you want to be understood, if you want a team that is innovative and creative, valuing that difference in language is critical and understanding how to communicate with them and helping them communicate with you through cues and direct conversation is going to be critical for that team's success. So as an example, If I speak only Italian and I'm working with somebody who speaks only German, I might say, I have a tendency to get really excited about what I'm doing and want to share a lot of information. How do you want me to approach you with that information? Do you want me to send it in three bullet points at a time? Do you want me to come in and walk you through each idea? What is the best way for me to approach you with my ideas? Because if I just walk in, and do what I would normally do, which is highly enthusiastic approach, mm-hmm. I'm just going to shut them down. It'll be too much for them. They're overwhelmed. Exactly. I wouldn't think to look for certain things, but if I have these 34 strengths in 
kind of in the back of my mind, I could probably pinpoint where the differences might be or the similarities. Exactly. Exactly. So the next part of this, we've talked about your magic, the amazing tools you bring to the table, just naturally, so naturally, so intuitively that sometimes you, 90% of the time, you don't even know you're using your top strengths. It just comes so naturally and intuitively. And we've talked about how to use them with more intention. We've talked about what your weaknesses are and how you can communicate with other people who have strengths in your weaknesses. The next part is to really understand how some of these talents might get in your way, to be aware of how you're coming across that might not be intentional and it might not be productive. So when you're looking at your top talents, what are the things that you've got into that you've gotten into trouble with? Hmm. Maybe a little bit with the empathy because I can, I think I can be confusing sometimes because I might be seeing it from the other person's view and then the person doesn't know what my view is. Does that make sense? Yes. Absolutely. So it feels like you're understanding them and and their vulnerability, but you're not sharing your own vulnerability at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of tricky. Like, Mm -hmm. especially if I have a goal in mind and I want to, like with my kids, I'll do this too. Like, I'll, I'll be looking at it from my kids' point of view and then I'll forget, oh, wait, you know, I'm supposed to like have some input. (laughs) (laughs) Here. <laughs> <laughs> all you're doing is reflecting my emotions back to me but what i need here is some guidance or boundaries right and and sometimes i'll, I'll switch i'll like think about it from their point of view and then jump out and be like oh no wait you know as, <laughs> as an adult as a parent that's not gonna right. work or right <laughs> here, here are some ideas but that if is I do definitely it with an adult, a way if I do it with an adult, maybe that's where it gets me into trouble because I don't know, maybe the adult isn't used to someone <laughs> taking their well, point of view like so automatically. Well, there, there are a couple of things that can be a little uncomfortable for an adult in those situations. And one would be if you're not demonstrating your own vulnerability, they feel like it's one way. And they, I, I can tell you, I've had conversations with people that are really, really good at asking questions. And by the time I get off the phone, I realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even ask her how things are going for her. Mm -hmm. There wasn't really any room for me to do that. Mm -hmm. So leaving room for other people to ask you questions and to feel like it's a two-way street, I think is part of that. Mm -hmm. Have you, I, I guess... We've already talked about where Maximizer can get in the way a little bit, where you're super excited and enthusiastic to make something even better. And the person in front of you has already put in a lot of time and they're like, it's good the way it is. You're just insulting me now. That's where Maximizer sometimes gets in the way. And what I've noticed in some of my clients is where context gets in their way is when they are so enthusiastic about what they've learned. And this is the combination of context and learner that you start sharing way more information than the person in front of you is interested in or engaged with. And I'll give you an example. I had a coaching client or yeah, coaching client on a team where some people would just stop asking this man questions 
because they knew his answer was going to be really long. Right. So context, because you're so talented in understanding the history of things, people with context often become resident historian of their organization, whether they've been there two months or 20 years. And so they start to develop that knowledge and want to share it with people. So being able to say, this is what I'm working on. You asked me, how much information do you really want here? <laughs> is it oh my really, God, this is sounding yeah. like something I wrote about. It's called Nature of a Nerd. <laughs> yeah, you nerd exactly. out on something and you're just like, I'm going to tell you everything I know about this right now. And it's like, the person's like, whoa. <laughs> exactly. And that's also your intellection, which is number 11 on your list, which is that need to externally process what you're learning. <laughs> oh yeah. I totally love, love, love doing podcasts, love getting feedback because it makes me think about it a different way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. So we're going to wrap this up with one more thing that I would like to ask you about. When you're looking at these talents and you're, you're kind of getting excited to understand that these are the things that you do really well, is there something in particular that you want to take from this or apply? Because I think the key with any of these assessments is first understanding how accurate they are and choosing, okay, if this is accurate, what, what makes it accurate? And one of the things I recommend to people is to take the paragraphs from the top two strengths, not the, the word context or maximizer, but just the paragraphs and share them with people who know you well. Okay. And, and then they can give you feedback about whether they think it's accurate. Oh, and remember that each... Yes. And remember that each paragraph is customized based on your top strengths. So your context, because it's followed by maximizer, will be a different paragraph than somebody else whose context might oh, be followed by cool. something else. Okay. So, and yet, so you, you understand in general that it's accurate. The next part of this is choosing to understand where you might be getting in your own way with those talents. It's it's fine to understand and who you are and take a deep dive into self-reflection about how it shows up for you. The next thing in in my case especially was when I looked at my talents, I suddenly understood all of the things that I had been criticized about in my life. And it was really hard I mean, there were times where I just wanted to distance myself from some of those talents, like my activator and command, mm. because those are the things that made people describe me, particularly my mom and my aunt, her twin sister. They'd describe me as bossy wow. and controlling. Yes. And so when I saw command in my top talents, I was like, no, that is not a strength. That is absolutely a burden. Wow. So what I had to do in order to flip that and also shift how I was presenting that command, because I could see the whole pattern of all of the times that command got in my way with bosses at work. Mm -hmm. okay. What I had to do was start keeping what I call the satisfaction journal. And that meant writing down each evening. Now I've adaptability and activator. So routine is not even a word in my vocabulary, okay. <laughs> but I, I do have rituals 
And, and after reading Atomic Habits, I realized that some of these are called habit stacking, which I love. It's a great book, by the way. It's good. <laughs> yes. And what I ended up doing was jotting down just a couple things I found satisfying every day and then associating which talents I was using. Ooh. So after so you could two see weeks, how often you were doing command and you could see how often. You exactly. Were doing- Right, right. And I could see how often I was using command in a positive way. Oh, good. That was the difference. Okay. Because I can easily see where it got in my way. That's, we are so good at knowing what's wrong with us. But being able to flip that, that's the whole point of Strengths Finder. It's why I love this tool, is because we are understanding better what our magic is and how we can use it to improve our own satisfaction in our lives. Wow. That is so cool. And I love having like, not too micro, but like, you know, little increment, little clues, I guess. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Well, you would. I know. <laughs> Based huh? on your talents. <laughs> I love I'm it. I'm going to arrange these now. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what, What are a couple of your biggest aha moments as we wrap this up? Well, I think I'm like, I'm like maximizer, like you are with command. Like I think of my mom too. Like Mm -hmm. I thought of her as a perfectionist and I, I felt a little put upon as a daughter of hers. And to see maximizer so high at first, I was like, oh dear. <laughs> but after you, after you explained it, it's like, okay, yeah, there's some positive things about that. And coupled with, was it developer? Mm-hmm. Kind yeah. of softened it a little bit. So that's really cool. And yeah, maybe to like, I, I try to like get, read social cues. I was not good at this when I was younger. If, if I wanted to talk about something, I would talk about it. But I try to read social cues and be like, okay, this person doesn't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> yes. I try to calm that context a little bit. And I don't know. Activator? What's activator again? I can't remember. It's that sense of urgency that you have to start something, to do something. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. And when I see something should get done, it's like, why not now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's when your activator shows up. So here's another tool to use as we wrap this up. If you can, I can actually send you an image of an amplifier and this wonderful strengths finder coach, Lisa Cummings gave me this image to use during our conversation. When I interviewed her on my podcast, I like to use an amplifier with like seven dials on it, six or seven dials on it. And I actually write or type my top talents on a label underneath each dial. When I notice that my command is on a 10 and it's not serving me or my client or my audience well, whether that is my husband, my kid or client, yeah, or even whoever your audience might be. Right? Exactly. <laughs> if it's not serving me, and especially with my mother, I can turn that down. The only way to turn it down though, is to adjust the other dials. So I can turn it down. I would never turn it below a five because this is my magic. This is how I approach things. And I'm not going to find any satisfaction at the end if I'm not using what I'm really good at. But I can turn up my strategic, which is my number one talent. 
and I can think through what's the best, most efficient way to get from point A to point B. So use that when you know your context is getting in your way, maybe turn up your learner. Yeah. If there was like a, like a, like a counterbalance, (laughs) if I knew that, like, if I really study this and get that kind of in the back of my mind, that would be totally useful. Mm -hmm. And your empathy, of course, that's a big one. (laughs) I would also think in terms of your learner as you're such an endlessly curious person that if you use your learner to ask the right questions, then you don't have to worry so much about the social cues. If that's not a natural thing, you naturally understand emotion. That's not the same thing necessarily as social cues. So using your learner as a tool of curiosity to ask questions like, have you seen this before? What was your experience with this? So that your context can turn down to a seven. Okay, that's good. Any other other aha moments or anything else you want to ask me before we finish this podcast episode? Is analytical, does that mean what it sounds like it means? Yes. (laughs) Yes, especially (laughs) given your other talents. Now, remember, this is just a high level conversation. And Mm -hmm. I usually work with my clients at least six one hour sessions (laughs) to make this really, really useful. And when I do this with a team, I do a one to one to introduce each person to their own talents. And then I do a half day workshop with the entire team to make sure that everybody understands each other's talents. So, yeah, so this is, you know, very high level there. There's only so much we can cover without being completely overwhelming on these. I will tell you that the analytical part of you is that part that picks up patterns really quickly. Okay. You just, you can look at a bunch of data and very quickly understand the what what one small small change will do to the rest of the data that you've collected right or, okay yeah or what the patterns are within the data you just are naturally gifted at that yeah that's probably true <laughs> <laughs> yes own it that's exactly right Annette <laughs> I love it <laughs> Annette, thank you so much for this opportunity. I've I've just so enjoyed being able to do this with this in mind that mm-hmm. our listeners get an opportunity to to hear what we do together. Yeah, that is this has been so eye-opening. I just love this tool. It is so useful. I just love it. Excellent. So listeners, now it's your turn. What assessments have you taken that have changed how you see yourself? And have assessments simply confirmed what you know about yourself? Have you taken it to the next step of understanding maybe where you're getting in your own way at relationships and at home and at work? I'd love to hear what you're doing with your assessments and what experiences you've had when you've had coaches to walk you through them. Comment on my blog post associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. And thank you for listening to this episode of Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Smile, what's the use of crying? 
You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.